looking at Acts chapter 2 tonight. Uh, we've been looking at a series of messages on Sunday night. I've called Four Pillars uh, because like uh, the four legs of a chair or of a table, something that is given then great strength and stability, uh, we find some things happening here in the book of Acts in Acts chapter 2 uh, that are designed, I think, to undergird our ministry. Not that we want to go back and repeat what happened on the day of Pentecost. Uh, there's only one Pentecost. And the things that happened there are never, ever going to be repeated again. Uh, now, there were some things that uh, were designed that happened in the book of Acts to call attention back to the things that happened, like at the uh, salvation of Cornelius, for example, when uh, uh, Simon Peter then gave a defense before the Jerusalem church. He said, the Holy Spirit fell on these people as he did on us at the beginning. And there were several different experiences that they had uh, that were designed to point them back uh, to what had happened on the day of Pentecost to make sure that there was absolutely no doubt that God had a plan for Gentile believers in the New Testament exactly as he had uh, for the Jewish believers in the New Testament. But still, there was only one Pentecost. Never again do we see uh, that uh, the cloven tongues of fire or hear the mighty rushing wind uh, it was a very unique day and had been long prophesied. But uh, we see some things here that uh, I think are designed for us. And we'll be looking at uh, one more of these tonight, what I call the pillar of preservation, verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. In our first message, we saw the importance of participation. As they were all in one place, they were all filled with the Spirit. They all became uh, human candlesticks, as it were. And uh, all of them. Uh, were involved in that great work, what we call the, the unity of the people, therefore, and the unction of their ministry. We saw the pillar of proclamation and, and discussed the, the importance and the emphasis that they placed on the preaching of the Word of God that included the exposition of Scripture, the explanation, and then the exaltation of, of Christ, the ingredients of every message uh, should be in, uh, found in these three and today we're going to be looking at the pillar of preservation. Preservation. I remember some years ago hearing a preacher say, I feel like I'm pastoring a revolving door. And I understood that. Uh, at the time I was working and planting a church and, and starting a new church. And, and, and man, that's exactly how I felt at the time. Because we had people who were coming in, but they were also going out. And uh, getting them to stick became a great, great challenge to me and it was a constant burden. 
Now, a lot of times the things that move people on were doctrinal things. Uh, I remember very vividly telling a young lady, she came down, her and her whole family came, and I did with them what I do with families even to this day when I haven't had a chance to talk to them. I asked them where they were saved and where they were baptized. Uh, because I want to hear that testimony of their salvation. I want to hear that testimony of, of what church it was that baptized them and where and, and what was going on there. And uh, when I asked one of those young ladies, uh, one of the young ladies that were there, when she was baptized, she kind of mumbled, looked away, and then she said, oh, well, I'm a member of this church. I said, well, let's talk about it after. Turned out this young lady had been a member of several churches, two of them Baptist, but she had never been baptized. She was scared of water. I was sympathetic to that. I've baptized a lot of people who were scared of water. Uh, one of them was so scared that when I put her under the water, she grabbed my shoulder. And I had the unfortunate uh, task then of telling her, ma'am, I'm going to have to do this again. She had never had her head be below the water to, to, in her whole life. And then she had to have it twice. I said, please, hold my hand. Let me put you under the water. I'll get you back. And that was it. You know, it was scary. But in this particular case, uh, by the time that was done, after she, that family, of course, decided to go somewhere else, she was appalled that we were going to require her to be baptized to join the church. And uh, their whole family then got offended, though I told them as nicely as I could. Uh, their friends and other friends, other people that had invited them, that by the time it was done, I'd said goodbye to almost 70 people. Just in one whack, one week. Friends, kinfolk, friends of friends, neighbors, boom. I tell you, when you start in a church and you have to say goodbye to 70 people, uh, that was a blow. It was a tough lick. It would be a tough lick on this church. Sometimes, yes, even today, for all the jokes about Baptist churches splitting over the color of the carpet, more and more times we're seeing issues of revol uh, revolving around doctrinal truth. We see people who come in, even to our church now, who are attracted uh, because of the way we preach the Bible and we teach the Bible. But then unfortunately, the preaching of the Bible will become the very thing that drives them away. Believe you me, I've seen that over and over and over in, in, through the years. And I've also cautioned churches that no matter how many people we win, we can run off more people than we can win. We can run them off faster than we can win them. That's the truth. And you know, a lot of times the way we run people off is we're just not very friendly to them. We've got to be constantly diligent about including people, getting to know people. And the more our church grows and the larger we get, uh, the more difficult that task becomes. It's never easy. I, I promise you it wasn't easy for the church at Jerusalem. How would you have liked to have been at business meeting after 3,000 people joined the church on one Sunday? Huh? How would you like to have coordinated the next potluck? Come to find out that caused quite a big deal before too long. Uh, because there were some of the folks feeling left out at the potluck. And that's why one of the reasons why we have the office of deacon, by the way. To make sure that folks don't feel left out. Uh, I would be amiss tonight if I didn't tell you that 
the whole concept of church membership uh, is shifting in our culture around us. That's not to say that Faith Baptist Church has shifted or changed. We're still pretty much, I think, where we've always been. Uh, and we'll talk more about that later. But the whole concept of being added to the church uh, is changing in our culture. And uh, more and more churches around us right here in our own community, and I know this because I've talked to some of their leaders, don't emphasize membership at all. Uh, as far as joining the church, the way we think of joining a church, where a person would make a commitment to that church and the church makes a commitment to them, and we sign you up and you are a member as opposed to being a visitor or guest. Uh, in many, many, many churches around in our own community, such a thing never happens. It doesn't happen. If you're signed up to anything, you're signed up on the, the giving list because you gave a check. And therefore, you're in their database and you're considered a part of their church. Or you're signed up to a small group. Now, I'm not ridiculing them. Uh, I don't know how they work that out and make that work for them. I don't know. Obviously, it's a model that's being very productive in our world because a lot of these churches are growing very, very rapidly. And again, some in our own community. But when I look in Acts chapter 2, I see an emphasis on discipleship. And that discipleship then is very clearly defined for us in the famous passage we call the Great Commission. Where Jesus sent us out, specifically, this is what he said, Go ye into all the world and make disciples. Make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We should have an expectation, since this is what Jesus sent them out to do, that, that would be some, there would be some semblance of that here in Acts chapter 2. And certainly, lo and behold, there is. Uh, it's right there in our text. Uh, they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them. Who was this? Well, we keep reading on down in verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily... Such as should be saved. And so people were saved. They were baptized. They were added to the church. Now obviously there are some who, who see this in a very uh, informal way. We tend to see it in a very formal way. Uh, Paul would write uh, uh, concerning Phoebe to the church at Rome. And he would call her a servant of the church at Sincrea. She apparently was moving to Rome. And, and he would say then to the churches at Rome, you receive her. You receive her. Concerning those who were weak in the faith, he would say, you receive them, but not unto doubtful disputations. I bring these things up to show you there is some sense, some way, that is biblically presented for a person to be added to the church? Some way then that they are going to be received by the church. Now, whatever policy that is, whatever formula we put in place, 
uh, that's not spelled out for us in Scripture. We don't see a single record of them having a church role <laughs> anywhere in the book of Acts. It's just not there. Did they keep one? Well, I'm sure they did. They certainly kept good tracks of the numbers of people who were there. And, and I guarantee you somebody got writer's cramp on the day of Pentecost writing down those 3,000 names. And Oh, just once in my life, I'd like to be a part of baptizing that many people in one day. My, you talk about getting tired. You know, baptism's hard work. It, it is. I'm, it was something to see all of that happen. And so, when we're thinking about discipleship tonight, we're really going to be bringing up that whole subject, that whole concept of, uh, of what it means to, to be saved, to be baptized, to be added to the church. And if we had an outline tonight, I just gave it to you. I'll use some different words, but that's what it's all about. The church at Jerusalem would learn very quickly how important it was to preserve their new converts. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave the parable of the sower. And he talked about how that the seed went out and some of it fell on good ground. Some of it fell among the weeds and thorns. Some of it fell on stony ground. And because of the ground that it fell on, uh, some of it uh, just didn't produce anything at all. Some of it was quickly snatched away. But then there was some that fell on the good ground. And, and some of it produced a little bit, some of it produced a whole lot. And you see, the goal in, in discipleship is to take people where they are separated from God, alienated from their God. Uh, they have no relationship with God at all. That God just is out not just to save them from their sins and to give them eternal life, but God intends for them to become fruitful. The goal then in discipleship has to do with seeing people come in. But then to see them find a place and to begin to bear fruit in this church that God has planted them in. Objectively, our goal then must be to move people where they become just the, where they are just the objects of ministry. That is, we're reaching out to them. We want to minister to them. We want to help them. We want to serve them. We want to teach them. We want to see them saved. We want to see them baptized. We want to help them, encourage them. And they are therefore the objects of ministry. But we don't want you to stay there forever. See, we want to move you then to where you can become the producers of ministry. Where you kind of flip over. We see that in family life. You know, you have your kids and you raise them and, and then you watch them become parents themselves. And so they're not the ones who are getting all the attention anymore. They become the attention givers. Now, discipleship, being a Christ follower, growing in our faith, moves us, sees us moving people along that important corridor. If we ever get uh, just bogged down in that, uh, then we become kind of what uh, Vance Havner used to warn about when he said the tendency among churches today is to hire a church staff to do church work and come together on Sunday to watch them. Uh, but that's, that, that's, not, that's not the biblical plan. And that's not what we see in evidence here uh, in Acts chapter 2. 
And so we'll be talking about these principles tonight that help us become what Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So let's talk a little bit more about discipleship. Verse 41 Uh, They gladly received his word. They were baptized the same day. They were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Now this identifies several things. In order to be a disciple, first of all, you have to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And in making disciples, that's what first and foremost we mean. We are leading people to Jesus Christ. We are sharing our faith, sharing the gospel message that has the power uh, to save men and women, boys and girls. The gospel of Jesus Christ. There must be believing. Then there must be baptism. Baptism is vitally important or it would have never been placed right in the middle of the Great Commission the way it is. You look through the book of Acts and you won't find people who were believers in Christ but refusing to be baptized. That that was simply not the plan. Baptism is the event by which a believer confesses openly Christ to the world. And to put it simply, this is God's will for your life as a believer in Christ. If you haven't been baptized tonight, but you're saved, you need to be baptized. If you're not saved, oh please, let me ask you, please be saved before it is everlastingly too late. I'll tell you what, some of those old invitation hymns that we used to sing... They had such a powerful message. Oh, do not let the word depart and close thine eyes against the light. Oh, sinner, harden not your heart. Be saved. Oh, tonight. Oh, why not tonight? Oh, why not tonight? They weren't subtle. No subtlety to them at all. They made a very powerful appeal people to remind them of their need to be saved if you're saved then to follow the Lord in baptism but when you've done both of those things we're not finished we're just getting started because the next thing you see is not just believing and and baptism but then also there's the Bible these people immediately began uh, to get to work studying the word of God and notice they were doing this on a daily basis uh, there's, I, I can't even begin to tell you how many grown uh, men, grown ladies who have confessed that they don't know much about the Bible. Though they're saved, though they're baptized, maybe they've been in church all their life, but their biblical knowledge they know is not where it needs to be. God help us as a church to recognize that. I'd certainly, as I said this morning, be glad to help anybody, but let's go beyond that. Because these people were organizing a way somehow where they could study the Word of God on a daily basis with other people. When the problem with the apostles would, uh, or with the, uh, uh, with the eating would come up in uh, just a couple of chapters down the line, uh, it was Simon Peter's judgment. He said, it's not right, it's not fitting, it's not meat, it's not good. That we, the apostles, should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
it wasn't, you see, that the apostles were lazy. <laughs> uh, these guys were hard-working net fishermen. And let me tell you, if you've ever seen a net fisherman pulling that net and, and mending it and doing they weren't lazy men. The problem was that if the apostles spent their time serving tables, there wouldn't be anybody to do what only the apostles could do. And that was to teach and preach to them the word of God. There were other people who could take these tasks, but they were performing a vital role. Now, we're a long way past that today. The apostles were walking, talking Bibles in those times. They were the ones who had the revealed truth of God. And there was nobody else to teach it. But that's not the case in Faith Baptist Church. Listen, I love the work that I do. And I'm very, very thankful that you give me the chance to pastor here and to come here and preach. Because if you didn't, I'd bust wide open. I promise you, I'd just bust. But that doesn't mean that I think I'm the only one who can take somebody else and start doing breakfast with them, start having lunch with them, and teach them the Word of God. Start having Bible studies with them. Start wherever they are. It'd be hard to beat just... Picking up the Gospel of John. And if you're here tonight, you say, well, I don't know much about the Bible. Where do I start? Start in the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is written with language that was about third grade language in his day. On a third grade reading level. It is very simple, but it presents profound truths about Jesus Christ. When you finish it, read it again. Uh, there's, more, there's so much, so much to be gained. Turned into the epistles, move along. And you've just seen a great form of study that you can use in a personal Bible study with another man or with ladies with another lady just to take the Gospel of John, the writings of John. Start there. Start there and move it along. There's believing. There's baptism. There's Bible. But then there's body life. Body life. As they connected themselves to a local New Testament church. Uh, there was a great spiritual atmosphere in the Jerusalem church. These people were excited and God was working in a mighty way. I'm very thankful for the things that I see happening in Faith Baptist Church. I'm thankful when we gather here on Sunday morning and I can sense the excitement. I'm excited. You're excited. Bill's excited. And by the way, tonight we found out who's really in charge of the music program. Did y'all see that? Didn't y'all see that? <laughs> she's she's going to be mad at me now that I said that. But I, <laughs> uh, when the piano stops, everything stops. That's just the way it is. But we're thankful for the Bill. Brother Bill's excited. Praise team's excited. Choir's excited. I tell you, I used to preach a lot of revivals. I don't anymore. One a year, one or two, maybe at the most. But back when I was preaching a lot of revival meetings, I can tell you I went to a lot of churches that needed a revival and didn't get one because even though they put revival on the sign, they had no interest, no interest at all in really getting excited about the things relating to our faith. See, we've got something to be excited about, folks. And when you put newborn, believe, newborn believers in a body of people who are excited about their faith, they get excited in their faith. And that does so much then to keep people 
involved and keep them moving forward uh, in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's discipleship, believing, baptizing, Bible, body life, connecting with other people. We also see fellowship going on in this church, verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers. We, we still do pretty good with the breaking of bread part. Now I guarantee you, Baptists can cook and we can eat with the best of it. But we don't do enough of it probably even today. Uh, there's three real parts to their fellowship in all seriousness. There was bonding. They spent time together with what I call the personal touch. Uh, I've told you before, I'll tell you again tonight. When people come here, they're not looking for a friendly church, but a lot of times they are looking for friends. And there's more to that than just the formal greeting. Hi, how are you? Now, that's a good thing. We have a lot of people who come in here and who go out and give me the testimony when we follow up in their visitation. I felt very welcome. I felt at home. You have a very friendly church. People were welcoming. And there's, that's always a good thing to hear. We never want to be that church that somebody comes and visits and says, I walked in and walked out and nobody spoke to me. Had a guy come here just a few weeks ago who told me he had visited several churches in town already and nobody spoke to him. Let's not be that church. So being friendly is important, but it goes beyond. As we begin to bond with one another and we actually get close enough to somebody that when we recognize, when we see them in Walmart and recognize them, we actually can call their name. And if you're like me, that gets harder and harder all the time. All the time. There's no greater friend than the friends that we can make around our church ministry, around the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To be that friend who cares enough about you to get to know you, to love you, to point you to Christ and be your friend in the Lord. There was bonding. It was also praying. They continued in the apostles' doctrine and the breaking of bread and also in prayer. Don't forget about how intimate it is for two people to pray together. For us to be able to sit down as brothers and sisters in Christ in a small group setting and actually pray with one another and share our burdens with one another. There's bonding that happens when we pray together. Serious prayer. And that strong sense of connection then is formed as we pray together. It was also sharing. Uh, these people, the Bible tells us, they had all things in common. Folks who had land sold it, and they gave it to the apostles. And uh, uh, again, that would cause them problems later. There's, there's been so much written about this as a controversial aspect of this. Uh, do I believe tonight that we all ought to just uh, have a communal kind of, of church? No, no, I, I don't believe that. Uh, I believe this was a special setting. You see, there were people who were in Jerusalem from all over uh, the known world. Jews from everywhere. And when they were saved and baptized, they stayed. And imagine how many people that must have been. There could have easily been as many as 10,000 people 
from everywhere who stayed weeks, months, we don't know how long, so that they could be taught in Jesus' doctrine before they went back to their homes and back to their new life. Everything about their life had changed, and that was a lot for them to assimilate. Some of you ladies on our food committee, tell us just how much it would cost to feed 10,000 people three times a day. It was a huge thing that they undertook, but it had to be done. And they did it. They did it. Many people gave great sacrifices. We don't even know who they were. One or two the Bible tells us about, like Barnabas, who was a wealthy landowner in Cyprus, and he sold uh, their land and, and their business, no doubt, and, and gave the money to the apostles so that they could take care of one another. But if I could say tonight that, uh, no, I, I, I don't think God expects us all to sell out everything we have and, and bring it up to the church and just all live together as a commune. Uh, if if I, I can say that, no, I, I don't think that's what Acts chapter 2 is telling us. But can I also say that I've never come to the place in my life as a pastor where I had to tell any church that I've ever pastored, folks, you you guys are sharing too much. And and, y'all are just being too sacrificial. You're giving too much. We're going to have to back off of this a little bit. They, they were willing to share, and that is taught for us in the New Testament. It's one of the, the principles that we have that undergirds our fellowship is sharing. Listen, a, a, a lot of times today, the most valuable thing we have to share is our time. Can I, I thought I'd get an amen or two on that. Isn't that the truth? most valuable thing we have to share is our time. Somebody calls you and invites you out for lunch. It's great to get a free meal, but listen, you were going to eat anyway. The really great thing about that is somebody's giving you their time. And they're interested in spending their time with you. That doesn't just happen. We have to make it happen, church. We have to make it happen. In some ways, it's never been harder. But it don't matter how many country music songs they write about how great it was when the world had a front porch and we all sit around and talked on it. Uh, Those days aren't coming back anytime soon. But what can come back is us making time to be together. And that new person, you look over there and say, who is that? That's a good person for you to give a call. Introduce yourself. Can I buy you a cup of coffee? If you want to really splurge, take them to Waffle House. Cracker Barrel. Somewhere. If you want to really get risky, invite them to your house. Well, I thought that was the pastor's job and the staff's job and all that. Yeah, 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 it is. It is. But this goal of fellowship, folk, is not something that uh, Brother Bill and, and Brother Jason and I 
can do for this whole church. We have to do it for each other. It doesn't matter if a person has been a member of this church for 20 years or for 20 days. They're all precious to God. And they're all precious to us. And it's up to us to make sure that in this quest that we have of making sure that people don't just join or they don't just visit, but they can actually be involved. Part of that, of course, involves the formula. They must be a believer. They must follow the Lord in baptism. We need to get them in the Bible. Uh, we need, uh, and part of that formula is right there. It's right there before us. But then part of it is that we need to make sure that they're fellowshipped. And that we get to know one another. And that we actually include one another. Uh, so that as a church family, we have friends, we have loved ones. Some of you may feel like, man, we're doing a great job at this. And in many ways, we are. But there's always room for improvement. Always. And we must be eternally vigilant. As we conclude our services, uh, this message tonight, then, we're going to give our time of invitation. Maybe, maybe you're one of those people, you know, I've never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd love to take the Word of God and show you how you can be saved. Just say, I've been saved. I was saved a few weeks ago, a few months ago, a few years ago, but I've never followed the Lord in baptism. Let this be your night. Maybe tonight you understand that you need to be a part of the body because you need to be taught the Bible, but also because you need the fellowship of other believers. And you want to just adhere yourself to God's plan. This is your time. Brother Bill's going to come and lead us in an invitation hymn. Oh, why? Not that I'm asking you to sing this. But oh, why not tonight? Why not tonight? Maybe one of those other subtle ones. Why do you wait, dear brother? Or why do you tarry so long? Yeah. Oh, why not tonight? Let's stand together, please.